0: Well, as we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, this kind of second section, we now get into the portion of the book where we begin to see uh, a little bit of action. We begin to see a call to live in certain ways that reflect the reality of our situation. And I think that is what we are Uh, wanting to do that's, that's the one thing that is consistent for us as Christians across the board and and really just as people. If someone is going to make a certain claim, we want to see that their words line up uh, with their actions, that the things that they are saying are then being backed up by words. And in, in our time, in our day, we live in, a, uh, we live in an era where there is a lack of trust with our actions and our words. Uh, consider the fact that when you uh, go to <clears throat> take a job, you sign a contract. You sign something that right, uh, that kind of spells out the way that you have to live, the way that you have to perform, the way that you have to operate there, uh, and that is there because your employer is fundamentally wanting to say, we don't believe that you will do this unless we make uh, you sign this thing, so that way your actions and your words will line up. Uh, the, gone are the days of the gentleman's handshake where we make an agreement and that's good enough. Uh. We need to see words and actions line up together, and so these things are put in place on the basis of mistrust. But as we come to the scriptures, we see that the call for Christians is that there need no be uh, there there need not be an opportunity for Christians to have distrust toward God because we've seen in the first uh, 12 verses here that Peter has spent the time reminding his readers that God is faithful, that he is trustworthy, that he has kept his word even when he knew that his people would not. He knew that even though we would make mistakes, he saw all of those mistakes from the beginning and yet still put in place a way for you and I to know him and to enjoy him forever. And so he has dealt with us not on the basis of our faithfulness, but on the basis of his faithfulness. And that's hugely important because then when it comes to being called his child, when it comes to being called a member of his family, we know that he's acting with full knowledge. He, he's not going to find something out that will all of a sudden change his mind and say, well, oh, I didn't know about that. You're no, I don't, I don't maybe I don't want you in my family. He knows full well the things that we have done that have offended him, that have been against him and the things that we've not done that have been against him also. And he knows the things that we will continue to do, and yet calls us his own, brings us near. This is what Peter has emphasized for us again and again and again in these first 12 verses. Right? We look first at verse 3. Uh, Peter writes here, he says, <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus according to His great mercy, right? There's the merciful act of God. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's that first action of of giving us the ability to not pay for something that we should have paid for. He demonstrates mercy to us in that Christ has paid the price for our sin. But then going beyond that demonstrates his gracious nature by giving then to us an inheritance verse 4 that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time so what what uh uh, peter 's going on about here is he 's trying to say this, both God has demonstrated mercy he 's not giving you something that you deserve you 've deserved punishment, sin uh, for your sin, you deserve to to uh, have death, and you deserve this because you is the consequence of sin. Uh, Paul tells us the wages of sin is death, and this is what we 've deserved, and yet God has shown us mercy by punishing not us. He's not dealt with us according to our iniquities, as the psalmist says, but he has dealt with us according to his Son. And so, Jesus pays the penalty for our sin, but beyond that not only are we then uh, not only are we made clean through that work, but then we are also given grace. Again, we are given something that we do not deserve, where we receive an inheritance. We receive adoption into the family of God. And so, the thrust of Peter's first 12 verses is to remind us, as hearers of his message, of people who are living in a day and age where everyone is searching for identity, everyone is searching to prove that they belong, everyone is searching to justify their existence, they're trying to prove and validate that they really have a reason for being. Peter's trying to say, you are already belong. You were already fully accepted. You were already fully loved. This is uh, the heartbeat of of humanity. They're asking these questions: What what would it be like to have the mind, to have the the, the full knowledge that you are fully accepted? One of the uh, one of the things that I enjoy from time to time. Is uh, scrolling through, scrolling through my Twitter feed. I'm on, on that. I love Twitter, uh, and there's one particular person that I I really quite enjoy on Twitter because it just gets like real all of a sudden, uh, and it is the uh, the artist John Mayer, right? He just has like these late night rants. Or like he'll just have like these random times where he'll just start talking about like a whole bunch of like random things, and it will get like re- like really real for like for a moment. But he, he, I want to I want to read you this one that he he sent out, and I think that this just really if you went if you saw it and then you scrolled through to see all the mentions of everybody being like that would be amazing. Here, here's what he wrote. Can you even begin to imagine the unbridled joy you would feel if you really knew how loved you are? Like, isn't that just, like, the heart of the gospel there? Can you, he says, can you even begin to imagine the unbridled joy you would feel if you really knew how loved you are? That's literally what Peter's trying to get at here. He's trying to say, church, Friends, listen, as members of the household of faith, you are fully loved, fully accepted. And as I scrolled through John Mayer's mentions there, everyone's like, that would be amazing. Like, I wish somebody would would help. let me know how fully loved I am. This is the heartbeat of humanity, that they are after this. And Peter's emphasis is to remind us, to remind his people, that God's love uh, is toward us, has been demonstrated toward us in his Son. Now, because we are a part of the family of God, then he now pivots in verse 13 to give us the ways that we should live as members of the family of God. Remember, it's not just about the words, but it's also about the actions. It's also about these two lining up. I think it's easy to have actions or it's easy to have words but it's hard to have both of these at the same time and so peter starts in verse 13 he says this therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ what Peter is getting at here as he comes into this section is this. Salvation, receiving salvation, trusting in Christ for salvation, becoming a member of the household of faith, becoming a part of the family of God, becoming a Christian, should result then in those who make this decision, who come into the family of God. It should result in these people, you and I, as followers of Jesus, living like Jesus, no matter how difficult the circumstances are. That we should live in accordance with God's character and his nature, no matter what. And as we come through the text, Peter wants us to see this. Is that this pattern of behavior that we are called to is rooted in our acceptance and in god's character it's rooted in our acceptance as members of the household of faith but also it's rooted in god's character he starts off with that word therefore and then he kind of gives us these other things that are that are in the in the midst that are kind of describing the action, but I'm going I'm to break down the, the clause for you a little bit more straightforward. He goes, we take out that middle section, he basically says this, therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, because you're Christians, because you belong, Peter calls us to live a holy life based on what God has done for us in Christ, to change the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we interact with others, on the basis of our acceptance. Now, this is important for us to understand, that belief that we are accepted by God, it precedes behavior. You can only... uh, act in concert with God's character, you can only live out this uh, command to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can only do this if you have the correct mindset. You have to have the right beliefs. And when we say right belief, we don't mean the right set of doctrines, but you have to believe, you have to trust that you have been fully accepted, fully loved by God. To live in that place of unbridled joy that John Mayer says is there, that he's hoping for. The belief, what God has done for us in Christ, at the cross, is always the basis For the commands that God gives. He never commands us to do something without empowering us to do it. You can't set your hope fully on the revelation of Jesus Christ if you don't yet believe the truth of the gospel. If you don't have the hope of salvation. The problem here is if you reverse these and you try to set your hope fully on the gospel without being assured of your acceptance by christ you're without being assured that you were a member of the household of faith then it turns into a sort of works-based salvation where you're doing good things to prove that you belong but the gospel says that you already belong and you live out god's character out of a, ch- a changed nature a new heart you live these things out now Peter is banking on the fact that we remember what happened in the previous sections, verse 3 through 12. As we said at community group, 3 through 12 is a little bit confusing, so I'm just going to break it down like here's what he's banking on for us. He wants Christians to obey. He wants us to understand that we should live out of this action on the basis of being uh, God's chosen exiles. He mentions this uh, in the very first verse the elect exiles of the uh of the dispersion that we have been foreknown and begotten uh by the father that we have an incorruptible inheritance because we have a great salvation a hope that is before us and so he says on these uh, on the basis of these things of what i've already spoken to you now i want you to set your hope fully upon jesus christ I want you to set your hope fully upon Jesus Christ, is what he gets at here. Now, there's no way that you can do this. Like, let's just be real. Like, this doesn't happen by accident. You can't set your hope fully on Christ accidentally. It requires great great intentionality. You have to be very disciplined in your thinking. You have to have great effort and concentration because our flesh and the spiritual nature of the world that we live in, Paul tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. There's a spiritual component where the enemy is not only trying to pull us away and distract us but also just the being sinful man we also have that distraction. And so in order to set our hope fully upon Jesus Christ we have to be intentional. We have to be purposeful. Now Paul or excuse me Peter he breaks it down for us in kind of two quick ways. First he says this. Prepare your minds for action, or maybe uh, in your translation it says uh, "gird up the loins of your mind." Right? If you're old school and you got like the fun translation, uh, I think that's a I think that's a great um, I think that's a great translation if you know what that means. Uh, but he, here's what here's what he's getting at here. I guess let's let's go from the gird up the loins of your minds because that's more fun. The image of that is actually rooted in uh, in the Old Testament. Several places it's spoken of, and in the in the older times, what would happen is that uh, the the dress that that uh, would be a part of the uh, the culture there, where everybody would kind of have like these long, uh, like long like robe like uh, I forget the word tunics, thank you, tunics, uh, thank you. They would have these kind of long uh, tunics that would be there and and would be stretching down, and uh, if you can imagine having that there and trying to move about, it uh, could be a little bit tricky if you started to move more quickly. Uh, and, and so, the idea of girding up this would be to pull the tunic together and to pull the portions of the robe to tie it up so that way you were ready for uh, to move quickly to run uh, to be ready for war to be prepared for um, a, a number of different things actually one one good um, section in the book of exodus we've looked at this before in Exodus chapter twelve as the Lord is telling them uh, to be. Ready to leave the land of Egypt? He's like, look, you guys are about to be to be ready to get out of here. I'm about to free you in uh, Exodus chapter 12. Uh, okay, here we go, verse uh, verse 11. Right, they're given the instructions for the Passover, how to eat this because uh, this is going to be quick. He says this in this manner, uh, Exodus 12 verse 11. In this manner, you shall eat it with uh, your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So the emphasis there is like this. God's people have been in slavery for 400 plus years in the book of Exodus. They're going to get a glimmer of hope that they're going to get to leave. And the Lord's like, you got to be ready to go. So he tells them, like, when you sit down to eat this meal that I'm instructing you to eat, eat it like you're ready to run out the door at any moment. You got your shoes on, you're holding your staff, like that's a kind of an inconvenient way to eat, you're holding a staff, and, you know, you're all tied up, it's not probably relaxing, Uh, it's not probably comfortable. What it's it's saying there is you need to be ready at all times. Ready at all times to go. Uh, You know, I don't want this to become like the running sermon podcast, because but this is just where all my lessons are coming from right now. The, I've learned that the the only way for me to get up and go running early in the morning is if I set out all my stuff the night before. Like I've I've figured it out. Like if I have to pick it out in the morning, no, it's not happening. Like I'm sleeping in. I have to go hunt around in the dark, forget it. But if I have things set out and prepared, then when I wake up, I could be like, okay, get my running stuff on, boom go it's dark out i'm gonna go in you know it's not as discouraging if you have everything ready what if we translated this ready over to my situation it would be essentially saying like the lord be like sleep in all your running gear and have like your shoes on and ready to go like so as soon as you woke up you were like like just running out the door that's the the image that he's trying to get across to us now, he's getting at this for our minds. This means that our minds need to be sharp. They need to be prepared. They need to be ready for action. And so, the hearers of this letter, you and I, as being called exiles, we don't have a home. Paul, we've already talked about this. We don't have a place to set down roots and, and really build this life here upon the earth. We should always be ready to, uh, to be on the go, to be moving. Now, he then transitions to this phrase that we should prepare our minds for action and then be sober-minded. Now, there's not a better way to describe it other than like the literal way that they describe it in the Greek dictionary, uh, which is this. To be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate, and circumspect. To be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate, circumspect. What Peter's getting at here is this, our minds should be ready for action, but also should be in a state where we are at peace, where we are calm, where we are rested, where we're even keeled. Where we're looking around and circumspect, and then he has this one dispassionate, right? Normally we would say, like, oh, that's probably a bad thing. Like, you're dispassionate about that. Like, you kind of, like, we look at things as, like, oh, you really want to be passionate, like, about something. Like, you want to be eager and, like, yeah, I'm all in. What What's happening here is Peter's emphasis is... Not that we shouldn't care a lot or shouldn't be excited about it, but that our emotions should not rule us in the way that it allows our thinking to be changed. What happens when you get passionate about something is all of a sudden your heartbeat raises and your adrenaline kicks in and you're like excited about it and you become more animated. Peter's saying not that you shouldn't, uh, that you shouldn't be that way because then when you do that, then all of a sudden you're, you're out of balance again he He is speaking to having a state of mind which is self control right the fruit of the spirit it's under self control and we're able to see things without uh them being distorted right that's why he was sober minded when you're when you're drunk then you're not seeing clearly you're not able to see obstacles in your way or you're not able to see things that are uh, maybe are a danger to you, or maybe you're overly, you know, emotional on one side or the other. You're not in control. And he says, when you are living in that way where you are controlled, uh, your mind is controlled by being overly emotional. When your mind is controlled by, uh, by anxiety and worry and fear. then you're not aware of your surroundings. You're not aware. You're not living in a place of peace that's calm and collected in spirit, temperate. Christians, Peter tells us, have the opportunity to live a life that is free from worry, a life that is free from anxiety, fear, not because we live in a world, or we are to live in a world, uh, that does not matter, where we're like, oh, nothing matters, so like, I'm not going to care about it, and like, gone are my worries. And we're not to have uh, a life free from worry, fear, and anxiety because we don't take life seriously, and we're like, oh, it's, you know, it's not as big of a deal. We're not trying to minimize the seriousness of life or the importance of life. But we are able to live a life that is free from worry and anxiety and fear because we have a hope that is certain, a security that is ours in Christ, that we are accepted, that we are a part of the family of God. And when we have this, then we don't need to be worried. We don't need to be worried about being crippled and frozen by fear. And so he then says, set your hope Fully on the grace that will be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This hope is ours, it belongs to us in Christ. It's something that we need to be reminded of. Even the Psalmist does this in Psalm forty three five, right? He says this Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God so when, when Peter writes that we ought to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Christ, when he says, "Set your hope fully," that means that we shouldn't have a backup plan, that we shouldn't be like, "Okay, well, if like the whole Jesus thing doesn't work out, like if he's going to fail, then like, at least I have like these these other options. Set your hope perfectly." unchangeably, without doubting, without being driven and tossed around on Christ, who is faithful. Be certain. We come to verse 14, and then uh, Peter starts to bring in analogies for us to make it more helpful. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, children often... Uh, inherit certain characteristics, nature of their of their parents. And so Peter's point here is this. As a child of God, we take on God's character. As obedient children, if God's character and nature is one way, as obedient children, then you also do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's like, you're a different people. You're in a different family. You belong to God, and so then now you have to live, in a way, uh, a different life, conforming your life to God's very character. And so Peter reminds them, again, with this note of acceptance. He says, you're obedient children. He calls them children. He reminds them again, you're already in, now live this way. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, that word there, conformed, it, it means taking on an outward appearance or, or living in a way that is patterned after a certain lifestyle, a certain thing, uh, an appearance, a certain form of living that is not representative of your truest nature. This is what he's getting at here. He's like, you can't live in a way that's not representative of your truest nature if you truly belong to god and you are truly his then you have to truly live within his character and so all that you are your habits mannerisms your dress your uh your speech your decision making the your 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 time your money the resources that are available to you everything that you have all your behavior is then subject to live and be filtered through uh, God's character. What Peter is telling us here is it's not, it's not something where you say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then you, you don't really live that way, but you uh, live in accordance with God's character. He has to tell us this because we live, again, in that world where our flesh pulls us away, the spiritual realm, spiritual warfare pulls us away, And tries to get us to do whatever we want to do. But again, we have to be changed. We have to be transformed. We have to be conformed. Not to, he says, the passions of our former ignorance. But we have to live out of God's character. Romans 12, 2. You guys know it a million times. We've talked about it. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed. Transformed. By the renewal of your mind, right? There it is again, sober minded, preparing your mind for action. Now be transformed by the be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Peter says it's not enough to believe the truth. It's not enough. To just believe the right things, the truth needs to be acted upon. If you're a child of God, then your life must begin to look like God's nature, His character. It must begin to look holy. Look at verse 15. He says, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter's emphasis is this. You have a certain conduct that you have to live for. Your mind has to be uh, prepared for action. Your mind has to be sober, ready, and then you have to live in a way that is in nature, or is it's in concert with God's nature. As he who called you was holy, you also be holy. See, the, the pattern for this call, the pattern for this command, the pattern for... Our holiness is God Himself. He says, if God is the one who's called you, then you have to look like the one who's called you. As He who called you was holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so the holiness in our lives needs to increasingly look like the God who has called us holy, perfect, pure. It's not to say that we will reach perfection here upon the earth because the scriptures say that we won't. We are being sanctified day by day, moving from glory to glory, and one day we will see him face to face, and we will be like him. The goal is to see Jesus, to be with Jesus, but we can only have that when we are proceeding along our journey in holiness you cannot again get to the portion of doing good things until you have first had the right belief the behavior cannot precede the belief god's call upon your life bringing you into the family of god is has to proceed you beginning to live a life that is set apart, that is holy, that is sanctified. You have to be a part of the family of Christ first. And so the people of God are to live differently in this world. We are to separate ourselves from the desires of the world and live in a way that pleases God. Peter's emphasis is, as he who called you was holy, you are also be holy in all your conduct. The command to be holy touches every single aspect of our life. And no area, no sphere is outside of God's, God's rule and reign. When you have been raised with Christ, the old you has passed away. And so there's nothing there left for you to go back to old ways with. This is what uh, Paul tells us. But we have new desires, a new pursuit. We should be co- uh, holy in all our conduct. Peter ends citing a passage uh, well s- perhaps several passages in the book of Leviticus in chapter uh, or in, in verse 16 he says be holy for I am holy uh, he says you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy now, uh, some some of the commentators have different thoughts about where this, like this phrase, happens, like all throughout the Book of Leviticus, and everyone's trying to fight over exactly which one is like the real one that's citing. But the idea behind each of these phrases, I think, is the most important thing, and I think that's what he's really getting at here. The context of the Book of Leviticus is that God is giving laws to His people to help differentiate them from the pagan nations that are surrounding them they're called to live differently uh, than the people who are in their areas the people who they they live in the midst of all these different cultures and different uh, pagan groups but these people god's people are called to live and to observe these laws that are marking them apart as his people that it separates them and makes them distinct. And so it seems here that what Peter is trying to get at is that God's people should look unique. They should live in a way that is distinct from the world. We are to live lives that are holy, that please God, because God is holy. The writer of the book of Hebrews really emphasizes the importance of this. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, he's, he begins to talk about like how, how hard it is. He's beginning to, to set forth the tone that this is a, a living the, the life of a Christian. It's hard, it's easy for us to, to be tired and to, to be weary in it. and to be disciplined in the way that we live our lives he says this in uh, hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The author of the book of Hebrews is emphasizing similarly continue on in the midst of hardship develop the discipline to be intentional, to be sober-minded, to prepare your mind for action. You will need this, he tells us. And he admits it's hard. It seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. And his exhortation then is to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. His emphasis there is upon God's nature and character. To be like God in our character and nature. And so Peter brings this home and emphasizes this to us that we ought to have our conduct be good, holy, pure. Because Christ is our example we should be holy as his children we should reflect that family uh, we should have a family resemblance there when we live this way then it brings God glory as people see our good works and glorify God and then finally we see that this is our goal because God is holy, we want to ultimately be like Him. And we will be like Him fully when we see Him face to face. And so for us this morning, the, the, the command from the Lord, the command that Peter gives, is to let our actions then reflect His character, His nature, to live Uh, in a way that is consistent with what is true about us. As being members of the household of faith, of being children of God, we need to be those people who are ready to be disciplined now and get rid of all of our desires to be like, oh, never mind, I'm just going to procrastinate, I'm not going to discipline myself, I'm going to put this off. I'm a really good procrastinator I'm like a really good procrastinator, all-star, procrastination all-star team, like, decades in a row. Like, I'm crushing it. At the last day, procrastinating won't work. You're not going to pull it together at the end. And so discipline yourself today. When you do, you get not only, it will be difficult, but you will enjoy Jesus along the way because he will meet you in the midst of that hardship He will meet you in the midst of that difficulty and you will be uh, fully fulfilled in him let's pray lord we are thankful for your kindness your faithfulness we're thankful that for your love and we're thankful that you went before us and lived a life that was perfect even though it was hard even though it was difficult lord you were tempted in every single way all of the ways that we lack discipline lord you were Uh, faithful in. All of the ways that we failed, you you haven't failed. You were faithful even on uh, from the first day until the last day of your time here upon the earth, always wanting to glorify the Father, always wanting to obey. And Lord, we want to live out of that Ability that you give. Lord, you told us that you would um, not only call us to live for your glory, but that you would empower us to do so through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we, we recognize we can't do it without you. We need your help. We need you to strengthen us, to encourage us, to give us the ability to serve you faithfully. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts now. Direct us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Convict us. Call us to repentance. Lord, we are open to you moving upon our hearts now. We pray that you would cause us to respond to you and your word. We love you. Amen.